Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's David Summers hosting another Studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It is the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now, we step back into the ring, back into time. Let's get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller hanging out in the Great Smoky Mountains. All right, who you got Sunday, Ron? The big game. What's going to happen? What you think? Oh, gee, man, uh, it's going to be a good one. Uh, I think that's that's for sure. Two great teams, and uh, you know, uh, I kind of been uh, thinking about it a little bit since we mentioned it last week. Uh, <laughs> I think you know, uh, I, I'm about to start to slide in the direction of Jalen Hurd, man. You know, with the with the Eagles, because uh, um, heck, he. Uh, he had a heck of a career at Alabama, didn't he? He, had, he did yeah. amazing stuff there. Oh, he absolutely did. You got two exceptional quarterbacks like Mahomes and Jalen Hurts, and so you got a real good ball game and two really good teams going at it. So I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Hey, listen, last week you knocked it out again. You broke another record for the first week downloads with Studcast number 285, the year of 1979 that you've just begun starting in your stud cast has obviously become the most interesting era so far for fans. I think that's really cool. Congratulations, stud. Well, thank you very much. You know, uh, I hate to say it, but I'm not really kind of surprised about it. Dave, in a way, uh, I always thought way back when I started doing these stud casts that if I was successful enough to reach this 1979 time frame, with all the challenges and all the drama and everything that happened to me in uh, 1979, that uh, this was going to be an extremely interesting uh, time for all the wrestling fans. Uh, <laughs> five and a half years later, man, since I started, unbelievably, five and a half years since I started these studcasts, I'm getting the answer to that, you know, and not out any wrestling podcast in history, man, has touched upon anything close to what we've talked about in the last few episodes and uh, and what's to come, for sure. Oh, no doubt. Everybody everybody listening, including me, we've all got a sweet spot, that, that special point in time where it's like, oh, boom, for me, that was just really it. And you're kind of on that sweet spot for me right now, stud. All right, so I was just going to ask, where where we're gonna ride today? But I, I got my first look at the title for the episode, so maybe I answer the question. Studcast number two eighty six. This studcast is called nineteen seventy nine. More drama 
every day. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> I thought it was a good one, you know, and I spent a lot of time each week, man, doing the research and thinking back on the whatever what's happened 44 years ago, mm-hmm. as well as I can remember it. And uh, and I always do that before, obviously, we start these studcasts. And, and then I try at the end of it, when I get uh, things kind of set in my mind, to figure out a little short title that's going to kind of fit the subject matter. And uh, wow, it was a crazy time for me. Uh, and this title uh, I came up with this time, 1979, more drama every day. Uh, man, it doesn't just fit this episode. It probably fit a lot of these upcoming studcasts as well. So thankfully, we got a lot more uh, good things to talk about in this one, other than just the drama. So we're going to ride into a spectacular afternoon card in Knoxville Coliseum. Uh, to start this one off with on uh, Sunday, February 11th, 1979. And uh, that card was loaded, man. And uh, then the Southeastern Tag Belts had been held up on the Sunday before uh, in a championship match between the champions Crusher Blackwell and the Invader uh, against Bob Armstrong and Ken Lucas. And the belts were going to be awarded to the winners of a one-day six-team Southeastern Tag Team Championship tournament on this card as well plus a Southeastern Championship match between the champion Ronnie Garvin and the great Malenko, who hadn't been seen in the Southeastern Knoxville area for five weeks. Uh, He returns again, Malenko, and uh, this match, uh, this card has seven matches in all. uh, Outstanding card, man. And then we're going to discuss the entire card. We'll talk about the TV that promoted it, the results of the card, and we'll also uh, talk about the attendance that Knoxville for that big Knoxville event. And uh, then we're going to go back to the end of the last stud cast, man, where it kind of hit me that both Bob Roof and uh, Larry Simon, the great Malenko, were out of the territory together and then Tampa to Florida together for two weeks. And, uh, and, then, they, they, and then it was they both returned on this Knoxville card that uh, we're going to be discussing today. And, uh, you know, I got to thinking about, you know, were they maybe working on the plot to take over Southeastern wrestling uh, during that time frame? Oh, so I think collectively one eyebrow from everybody listening just went up when you said that. So anyway, so hearing the answer to that question alone makes this studcast another great one. So uh, what else in this one? Well, Southeastern Gulf Coast uh, is going to be the next stop, obviously. We're going to head south. And the card from Mobile on Wednesday night, Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1979, was just as good as the fantastic Knoxville card that same week. Uh, and uh, three cities in the southeastern Gulf Coast uh, territory down there, Pensacola, Montgomery, and Mobile, were going to be getting a one-night tournament. Two of the three are going to get a one-night tournament. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a Texas death match on that card. Uh, there's also a southeastern title match on that card. So we'll discuss that Mobile card, and we'll talk about the events in Montgomery and Pensacola as well. Talk about the TV promoting them and the results of the matches and the attendance. We'll talk about the attendance in all three of those towns. So uh, then we ride back to Tennessee. After that, man, it crossed the great state from Knoxville to Memphis for the second Memphis uh, support card. We're sending stars there, man, uh, to to try to help my dad and Jerry Jarrett out. And – they're going to be stars, obviously, from both Southeastern and Knoxville, uh, Gulf Coast and Knoxville. And, uh, 
It's going to be a drama-filled night, man, in that big old 11,000-seat Mid-South Coliseum. We'll get into that, and <laughs> given enough time after that, we might even try to get us a learning tree in. <laughs> I mean, you got to be kidding, Stud. You think you're going to get all that into one hour? <laughs> well, you know, last week we did two weeks of cards. We did two weeks of TVs. We did two weeks of results and uh, two weeks of attendances. And plus we discussed the numerous problems of 1979. And uh, we did a learning tree question on top of all that. Uh, and we came out at almost exactly one hour, I think, that the show ended up being. So to make it happen today, uh, we're not going to just trot around, Dave. We can't do that. we got to come out of the chute, man, running like we're going to dog a steer. You know? <laughs> so no trotting. No trotting on this one. All right. So I, I don't know about my dog and the steer, this dog and the steer part. I, I, don't, I don't know. All right, so, but anyway, I'm not going to hold you back. So, what was the big card in Knoxville on Sunday, February 11th, 1979? Well, it opened with a single match. Uh, Ted Allen, uh, the wrestler who trained Arn Anderson, and uh, that's a pretty good statement <laughs> for any wrestler. Uh, he was going to be up against the Mighty Yankee in the first match. Uh, there was a tag team tournament uh, for the held-up Southeastern Tag Belts. Uh, it would begin with the second match of the day on that card. Uh, we'll get done into the details of this big tournament later on. But for now, I'm going to announce the names of the teams only in that tournament. Uh, Bob Root and Bob Orton Jr. is one of the teams in the tournament. Tor Tanaka and Ron Wright. Crusher Blackwell and the Invader. Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater. Kevin Sullivan and Ken Lucas. And Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings. These were the six teams in the tournament, and the pairings for the actual matches was going to be done in a very different and a, and a special way, in a way that we had never done them before. Uh, and a, one other really important match was on that card. I, I, I can't forget this one. It was for the Southeastern Championship and a whole lot more. Ronnie Garvin was defending against the returning great Malenko. Mm -hmm. uh, then there was another prize that was going to go to the winner in addition to walking away with the belt. And that was going to be that the winner got to face Harley Race for the NWA world title wow. in uh, Southeastern Knoxville's next Coliseum event. Wow. Hey, that's a pretty good card right there, Stud. The, the thing I always liked was how you guys, Southeastern at least, started the tournaments at the beginning of the night, with all of the teams or individuals involved gathered in the ring to have the pairing selected before it even started. To me, when you pay the money at the box office, you walk in, it's like getting the main event first thing. And the anticipation begins to build and you start looking around going, yeah, this is going to be a big deal tonight. So anyway, my guess is that's going to happen right before the tournament starts. So what was on the TV? for Saturday, the day before this card, to get it all pumped up? Well, don't forget, man, it's the second week in 1979, uh, February Arbitron and Nielsen TV rating period, man. So this TV opened with the controversial finish of the last Coliseum Tag Championship match between the former champions, Crusher Blackwell and the Invader, against Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater. And uh, with Les at the set, this opens up with Les there at the set. Uh, and sitting it with him was the giant, 
Blackwell, and I'm going to start to call him giant. He was 450 <laughs> pounds, and uh, wow, he was truly a large human being. And uh, he was sitting there with the invader, uh, and uh, and that, that was his part. Highly suspected Bob Orton Jr. with a mask on. No, I mean he did. It was it was unlikely he could have been anybody else than Bob Orton Jr. for sure. So. So, you know, then the normally quiet Crusher Blackwell, who didn't have much to say normally, uh, uh, he watched the, just the start of this, and he jumped right in on the video, man, as soon as it started. And, uh, and he it was the part where the referee was raising his hand in the air. He had won the match, and uh, the invader yelled at him, man, to, to shut his mouth, that, uh, that he would do the talking, meaning the invader. I'm going to do the talking here. Shut up. <laughs> and uh, then he made a strange comment to him, and he said something about, you don't want something bad to happen, do you? And uh, Blackwell kind of lowered his head and closed his mouth uh, for the rest of the video. So then the invader took over, and he bragged as the video continued about he had how he had won the match. Uh, and then the second referee showed up at the ring, and, uh, and he came in, and he raised Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater's hand. Uh, there had been a lot more to the end of the match than what was on the video. And when it ended, Blackwell got up from the set and uh, he turned to the invader and said, uh, we didn't deserve to win. We cheated. And you know it. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty odd, right? So the invader, wow. Bob Ward Jr., he jumped up and he got in his face, man. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, for the first time ever, the great Malenko, Comes from the dressing room. He burst onto the set, man, and uh, and him and Orton are both in Blackwell's face. And uh, Malenko screams to Blackwell, uh, "You better think about what you're doing." <laughs> you know. And uh, so you know, Blackwell just pushed his way past both of them, uh, big boy, and that they didn't really either either one want to jump on him too badly. And he headed back to the dressing room. Mm -hmm. Both of them were falling behind him, still screaming at him. So bell rang for the first TV match of the day, and the, and the two wrestlers that were just seen on the video where the belts were being held up, Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater, they entered the studio, man. And, uh, wow, they got a rousing welcome. Uh, you know, everybody loved Bob, and Dick Slater was beginning to really get over there as well. And uh, they, they got themselves a big win, quick win. And then uh, Bob Orton, um, Bob Roop and Bob Orton Jr., uh, they were the next team to go into the ring. You got these uh, tag team tournaments, so they're gonna we're gonna show show some of these teams that are going to be in that tournament, mm. and uh, <laughs> obviously they were in the tournament the next day in the Coliseum, and uh, they won the match. Uh, Bob Roop used shoulder breaker, breaker, and uh, and Bob Orton Jr. did they some per inverted pile driver man, which was a devastating move. Oh wow! And uh, both their famous, both were their fam favorite finishes, and. And both of the guys that got the shoulder breaker and the pile driver got carried out, man. Uh, neither <laughs> one of those boys walked away from the ring. All right, get your paycheck, kid. Go home. All right, so this TV, no doubt, is off to a great start, stud. So what was on the next thing up? Like maybe the personality profile or something? Well, you, you mentioned, Dave, a little bit earlier about enjoying the South, the way Southeastern tournaments started, you know, with all the competitors in the ring, the yeah. drawing of the pairings mm -hmm. being uh, the first round of the tournament. And, uh, and don't forget, this was the second week in February, 1979. It's a rating period. 
with Arbitron and Nielsen books coming out. So I figured, uh, you know, in talking to, to Roop about this, uh, I suggested, man, that uh, why don't we allow fans, not uh, uh, just those in the arena, but those watching TV to see this ceremony? Because the match is the next day. So, uh, you know, and uh, I figured that uh, the fans at home were going to enjoy it just as much as uh, as, mu- as much as the people in the Coliseum the next day. So doing it on the personality profile, it kind of set the stage for the tournament a day early, man. And it gave uh, the opportunity for hundreds, hundreds of thousands of of fans, which we had watching this show with an 80 share, man. We had a tremendous audience, and this is going to give all of those thousands of fans at home an opportunity to see what it was like. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe it's going to sell a few extra tickets, I thought, and then might jump the TV ratings a little bit more, too. Well, I always say you never miss a thing. I mean, uh, tell us about it. <laughs> well, to be honest, I can't say that I saw it actually, Dave. Because I wasn't even in, on that Knoxville cart the next day. I was in Dothan, Alabama, working with the uh, the new booker down there for the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory, mm-hmm. Louis Tillette. And, uh, but Les called me later that day after TV and said it was one of the best things we had ever done on the profile. He said it wasn't, you know, he said he wasn't expecting one thing uh, that happened there. Something happened that nobody had thought would have happened. Uh, he said every time a new team came into the studio for the profile, the crowd reacted with boos and cheers, depending on what team it was. And he said that continued for every pick as well. He was kind of like an interactive pick, he said. You know, fans were really into what was happening in the, in the pick. So you can kind of imagine you got a small TV ring, those rings were about uh, 16 square feet rather than a 20, which is a lot smaller. Uh, you got the six teams. Uh, you got 12 wrestlers standing on the floor of the studio surrounding the ring. Uh, Phil Rainey was in the ring, and he was holding the freshly polished man, the shiny, look like brand new southeastern tag belts that the six teams were going to be going for the, the next day. And uh, Les was holding the hat. It had the team's names in it, and uh, and he was explaining to those in the studio and at home how the tournament uh, worked. Um, so he invited uh, right off Bob Roop and his partner, Bob Orton Jr., into the ring for the first pick. Uh, Roop pulled the name of Charlie Cook and Mike Stallings, that team, out of the hat. Uh, Les invited Cook and Stallings to come into the ring with Orton and, uh, and Roop. And uh, he had both teams on each side of him, one team on each side. And he announced that these teams would be in the first match in the first round of the tournament tomorrow. And uh, that team, both those teams left the ring. Then he brought in Tor Tanaka and Ron Wright. Uh, Ron Wright pulled a a name from the hat. Uh, It was Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater. And uh, they entered the ring. Uh, Les split him up again, just same way, put uh, Wright and uh, Tanaka on one side, Armstrong and Slater on the other, and uh, Les announced that these were the two teams that would be competing in the second match in the first round of the tournament. Uh, then Kevin Sullivan, Ken Lucas came into the ring. Sullivan uh, picked from the hat, he, and he picked the, the only team that was left, obviously, Crusher Blackwell and the Invader. Uh, Blackwell got into the ring by himself for obvious reasons. <laughs> I mean, Bob Orton Jr. is already in there. Mm-hmm. How's the invader going to get in there, right? <laughs> so, 
So you know, he couldn't be, Orton couldn't be in two places at one time. So mm. it became very obvious at this point that Bob Orton Jr., for whatever reason, I could never figure it out, it was wrestling twice on all these cards, you know. So uh, Bob Orton Jr., uh, you know, so Les announced that this would be the last match of the first round. Uh, the second round and the finals would be decided tomorrow, obviously, when the first three rounds uh, we got the winners out of the first three. Then they would decide who's going to be against who in the rest of that tournament. Wow. All right. So that had to be a very impressive display for those who had never seen anything like this before. And also a, a really good look at some serious wrestling talent, no doubt. So what came next? Well, another of the teams in the tournament, Ron Wright and Tor Tanaka, uh, they were in the next live match. Uh, after the profile, and again, Ron Wright did the same thing that he had done to Tanaka every time they wrestled just about as a team. Uh, he never got in the ring, and Tanaka was in the ring from the start of the match to, to the time that he had laid both of the opponents out, and then he went over and tagged Ron Wright. <laughs> Ron came into the ring, put his foot on one of them's chest, the referee counted him out, <laughs> went over and put his foot on the other one's chest, and they got counted out too. Mm. So, <laughs> Not so. Yeah, that was a that was a great great moment for Ron Wright, and, oh, uh, and he really knew how to milk it too. Yeah, not surprised at all. Okay, so what was the final match of the TV that day? Well, it was all about the other main event, man, on the card: uh, the Ronnie Garvin defending his belt uh, uh, against uh, the Great Malenko, and uh, Ronnie was on TV. Now, we're in rating period. We've already had a great personality profile to help the ratings. Uh, so we just make this a championship match. Ronnie defended his belt on TV, uh, the last match on this card. And then the returning uh, great Malenko, he went and joined Les at the set, uh, watched the whole match. And uh, during the match, obviously, he was uh, extremely critical of Ronnie Garvin. Uh, and he, he was saying that Ronnie wasn't good enough to be the Southeastern champion. Uh, and he accused Garvin of being scared of him, uh, scared of his tremendous wrestling skills and his Russian heritage, and uh, that Ronnie had been avoiding him now for two months, and uh, and it was time for him to get his belt back. So Les, Les quickly, you know, brought to his attention that uh, – that Boris hadn't even been in town for five weeks. He goes, how's he going to wrestle you? You haven't been here for five weeks. So Malenko said, uh, you know, he said, that's not by accident. You know, he said, this is actually intentional because he said, I've been training for this upcoming championship match uh, because there's a shot at the world champion. And I've been training with my good friend and the great shooter, Carl Gotch. And uh, that he was going to regain his Southeastern belt tomorrow. And then the following week, he was going to win the NWA World Championship a uh, week later. Okay. Now, I've heard the name Carl Gotch before. He was considered, as I recall, one of the toughest wrestlers in the world. He trained a ton of Japan's stars. Was that true about Gotch? And did Malenko really know him? Uh, yeah, actually it was, Dave. Uh, you know, they were best friends, as a matter of fact, for years. They lived mm. down the street from each other in Tampa. Wow. And uh, and they, everybody knew that Gotcha, you know, 
Gotts trained uh, Malenko's son, Dean. Dean Malenko, great wrestler, man. Yeah. Young young yeah. guy, uh, great talent, uh, uh, junior heavyweight type of uh, wrestler. Yeah. And uh, Gotts yeah. had trained Malenko's son, you know, so – and, uh, and Dean went on to become a huge star. Many years later, man, the WWE worked in a lot of different companies. Oh, sure. And, of course, hearing the name The Great Malenko over the time, over the years that really that we've been enjoying these studcasts, I always thought, yeah, I bet that's, that's connected down the line. Certainly it is. All right. So these studcasts really, a ton of little known facts live here. You can count on that. All right, so what happened in the Garvin TV match? Well, Les told uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, you know, uh, told me that uh, Garvin uh, won his TV match, which, uh, you know, obviously that, that went without saying just about. And he obviously did another one of those uh, flying knee drops and throwed off the top rope. And, uh, and uh, Les said as soon as he landed in the guy's throat, he said he didn't, he didn't even get up and take his knee out of the throat. He pointed straight at the set to Malenko and he motioned for him to come and get some. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Those guys didn't like each other much, and, uh, and Garvin uh, had a great style, man. <laughs> so I guess uh, when, when Malenko didn't come, he probably just uh, put his knee in the guy's chest and got him counted out, yeah. and they carried him out. Sounds like Garvin and another really good TV from start to finish, no doubt about it. All right, so what happened at the Coliseum the next afternoon? Ted Allen beat the Mighty Yankee in the first match. Uh, Bob Root and Bob Orton Jr. Uh, took the belts, and uh, they made it to the finals, uh, and they, the finals was against Bob Armstrong and Dick Slater. And, uh but it was a little bit of a controversial finish, and uh, it was enough of a controversial finish that uh, it was going to allow Armstrong and Slater to get themselves a re return match right away the next week. Uh, it's going to be championship week there, man, big week. Uh, Ronnie Garvin successfully defended his southeastern belt against Malenko, and he earned the NWA World Championship match with Harley Race. Uh, and uh, matches were going to be on a very rare Monday night instead of the Sunday afternoon like they usually were. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think it was going to affect the crowd a bit because uh, it's going to be a tremendous card. Uh, so uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great setup. It had been a great setup, and, uh, and we were looking for something really big the following week. Okay, so what about the attendance for this great card? Well, man, it was almost sold out. Uh, it was about 5,300. Uh, normally, it's around 56, uh, somewhere in that area for a complete sellout. So it was darn near a, a total sellout for it. And, uh, so uh, really good card. Really good card. Really good crowd. Okay, Stud, you said earlier that we might talk about that recent Bob Roop and Great Malenko thing two weeks together in Tampa, Florida. And what you think that might have been all about? So what do you what do you what are you thinking? Well, man, it was still you know like almost four months before five of the wrestlers on this card are going to actually break away from Southeastern and open their own wrestling company in the Southeastern Knoxville territory, and and there had to been some discussion that makes some sense. Uh, there obviously had to be some discussion. Somewhere around this point, between at least two out of those five people, about the possibilities of the success of doing something like that, 
you know. So uh, Roop and Larry Simon, which is the great Malenko's real name, were very good friends. Uh, and both of those guys had extremely negative thoughts about uh, owners of territories and basically not sharing the wealth with the wrestlers, I guess is a good way of putting it. So Roop had already attempted as, as a booker. Uh, uh, to take over another NWA territory in San Francisco, Roy Shire's territory. And uh, Larry Simon, uh, the great Malenko, had a history of being very difficult when it came to payoffs. Uh, so it's kind of hard for me to believe with Bob Root being the booker that they both coincidentally took a vacation to the same city 700 miles away at the same time. So, so uh, hmm. you know, I guess I'm saying it would have been a good time, man, for them to open the door maybe for for a discussion of a move to take over Southeastern Wrestling. We know that uh, Roop was hmm. uh, trying to, to ask guys if they were happy with their payoffs and uh, pushing that, those facts. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm taking a guess at it, basically, but that's my guess, man. Mm-hmm. So just like the title of this studcast, more drama every day. This 1979 year for you had to be a nightmare so far, and it's just getting going. So, but I got to admit, it's extremely interesting for those of us that didn't live it. So this is a good place. Let's get a break in right here. And when we come back, we're going to go south and see if there's some more drama. And I got a feeling there will be. This stud cast will continue right here. Stay with us. The Stud has opened the gate to ClassicContinentalWrestling.com with exclusive YouTube Southeastern Rewind short rides. See spectacular highlights from his tremendous streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com programming, free. Seven short rides are there now on YouTube Southeastern Rewind with a new one coming every other day. To take the long ride and see it all, subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It's definitely the best deal in wrestling. All right, welcome back. Another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Hey, it's David Summers, and let's get into the second segment. This has been a great one so far, Ron. Knoxville was not the only southeastern city to get a huge tournament that week. Two of the three southeastern Gulf Coast cities with world title matches coming were getting a tournament as well, but for a different reason. So tell us about that and what was going on down south. Well, obviously, Harley Race was coming the next week. Uh, He was going to start on uh, February the 18th, 1979, uh, the same week as the Knoxville card. Uh, in fact, he's going to start it in Pensacola on uh, Sunday the 18th, and uh, and he'll be in Knoxville on the 19th. Uh, and he was going to be obviously defending his NWA title three times in the southeastern Gulf Coast cities. So he's going to wrestle once in Knoxville and three times down south. And uh, he would be in Pensacola, Florida, like I mentioned, on Sunday the 18th of February. He was going to be uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, down there on the 20th, and uh, he's going to finish up in Mobile on the 21st. So on my Monday, the missing date there, he was going to be in Knoxville. Pretty good schedule for the man, uh, that's for sure, and uh, not a lot of guys could handle what he was going to handle during the course of that next week. So in this studcast, we're going to f- focus on the card 
Let's focus on the Mobile Alabama card, the one that was on February 14, 1979, uh, the week before Harley was going to arrive. And it was another great one. Uh, both Mobile and Montgomery had identical cards on this week. Uh, they were both headlined with a one-night world title tournament to find an opponent for the NWA champion Harley race the following week. Uh, this was the outstanding uh, card. Let's talk, let's, like I said, we're going to start with Mobile here. and uh, It's got a pretty outstanding card man, on uh, February 14, 1979. Uh, I put uh, Ricky Fields to open up the night there who was a hometown favorite, obviously, born and raised in Mobile area. And uh, he was going to be up against the $500 challenge man, Herb Calvert, and who challenged the audience along with a wrestler every night. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then there was going to be on that card a Texas death tag match uh, between Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin against Don Carson and the Assassin, managed by Billy Spears. There was also going to be a Southeastern Championship match with the champion Tony Charles defending against Dr. D, David Schultz. And uh, they had already wrestled in the last two weeks. They wrestled to a 45-minute time limit. They came back and wrestled to a one-hour time limit. And uh, for this championship match on this card, there was going to be no time limit for the belt. Uh, they And the way they were going, from what I heard from guys that were down there, uh, they might have been going to go two hours. So, uh, so the night was uh, we topped off with a six-man one-night tournament. The winner of that tournament was going to get Harley Race the following week for the NWA World Championship. And uh, here was who was in that tournament. Uh, hmm. And that tournament was going to be held in Mobile, and it was going to be held in Montgomery. Hmm. So uh, Bob Armstrong was in that tournament. The former NWA world champion, Jack Briscoe, was in the tournament. The Mongolian Stomper was in the tournament. Buzz Sawyer, Gorgeous George Jr., and myself. <laughs> and it was eight matches on that total card, Mobile and Montgomery. Wow. I love the way you would just, in a big show like this, you would drop a name like Jack Briscoe in there on one of these shows. That's pretty awesome. Kind of unexpected, and the crowd uh, – Love the Briscoe boys back in the day, especially. All right, so I thought the Knoxville card was easily going to be the best between the two territories this week, but now I think uh, I've heard this one, so I'm I'm not sure which one was the best yet. I'll, I'll make my decision on that later. I'm sure everybody else listening is going to do the same. So how many of the wrestlers in the tournament did you have on the TV to promote this big card? Well, Dave, you know, all of them, except for Bob Armstrong, you know, and the only reason Bob Armstrong wasn't on that TV is because he was on the Knoxville TV the same day. You know, we were recording in Knoxville Mm -hmm. for the show of that week, and uh, we were recording in Dothan for the show down south. So uh, he couldn't be two places at once, so he was not there. But all of the others were on on that TV, and uh, Charlie opened the show uh, with me and Jack Briscoe to talk about this upcoming tournament at the very beginning of this show uh, down in the southeastern Gulf Coast. And uh, Jack Briscoe obviously was a, uh, I, I, I'm sure most fans are aware of this, but he was a national champion amateur wrestler at Oklahoma State, mm-hmm. won the national championship two times. And, uh, and he was a, 
not just a friend of mine. Jack was kind of a mentor to me, man, in my first years in the ring. He spent a lot of time watching my matches and talking to me. Uh, he really helped me a great deal. Uh, I always had a lot of respect for Jack. And, uh, and, and on this particular day, uh, he kindly agreed because I'm there on, down south there in, uh, in Dothan. And uh, Jack agreed to wrestle on the first match on the show. And, uh, and what a great match it was, man, because I talked to him about it. And, uh, you know, he was always a great competitor. And I said, Jack, would you wrestle against Herb Calvert? Because he was a big star at Oklahoma University. Hmm. And uh, Jack said, Ron, I'd love it. <laughs> you know, he goes, wow, <laughs> I've always wanted to wrestle this guy, right? So, uh so Jack wrestled that five, the 500, I call him the $500 a night crowd challenger, right. Calvert, man, right. uh, who was yeah. challenging all these fans, man. And uh, Calvert was also a great amateur star uh, at Oklahoma University. Uh, so, uh, and that match, wow, I watched it, I'll never forget. It was an absolute classic, man. Uh, and uh, and I was at, since I was at the set with Charlie when we, Started the program. Jack went to the ring to wrestle. I stayed with Charlie, and I had the opportunity to, to help describe that match with Charlie Platt. And Charlie was like me after it was over. He's like, Ron, I've never seen anything like that. It was just an unbelievable match, man. Uh, and Jack was the consummate pro, man. I mean, uh, you know, so he even put Herb Calvert over. You know, because, hmm. you know, I said, hey, Calvert's just getting here, Jack. And he goes, hey, let me, I'll, I'll put him over, man. You know, he says, he's going to be great for your territory. What you're doing with him, Ron, it's going to be really big down there. And uh, and it was. It turned out to be really good stuff. And uh, so Jack even let Calvert beat him on TV. Wow. Listen, the fans had to be freaking out because this is a great, one of the greatest TV matches of all time. And it was at the very top of the show. I would have loved to have seen it. So who was next? Well, Jimmy Golden, Norville Austin, man, it was their turn. And they tore the studio up. They're not in the tournament. Uh, uh, and uh, on the end of their match, uh, Jimmy Mann climbed a top rope, and he hit one of those guys with one of those drop kicks off the top rope and sent him flying through the ropes and sliding on his back across the studio. And then Norvell, about the same time, shot the guy he had with him into the ropes and hit him with one of those diving headbutts. And uh, so uh, – <laughs> And what a great match they had. Then Billy Spears, Don Carson, the assassin, they're at the set watching this, watching this match because that was their opponents in their upcoming match. They were going to be facing these guys in the Texas death match. And uh, it gave uh, Spears, obviously, opportunity to brag about all the bad things they were going to do to Golden and Austin, man, in this Texas death match and how bad they were going to hurt these guys. <laughs> all right. So who was on uh, the personality profile? Uh, what do you think, man? Uh, another one of those ring profiles <laughs> for their tournament, man. Just like the one we did in Knoxville, right? <laughs> it was so good that I figured if it got over in Knoxville, Knoxville recorded their shows about two hours before we recorded the shows in Dothan. And uh, Les called me after the show and he said, Ron, it was unbelievable. Wow. So, you know, we, we did the same thing. So this time, uh, uh, we were going to pick the pairings for the upcoming world tournament. Rather than the tag team tournament, we're going to talk to uh, about a tournament in which the winner of this one is going to be wrestling against a world champion. And uh, 
This one, uh, this personality profile was just as good as Les described, maybe even better than the one in Knoxville. So Charlie had five. The way we set this one up, Charlie had five of the six men in the tournament. Bob couldn't be there because he was in uh, in Knoxville where he had them in the ring with him. And uh, so Bob's name, uh, the first guy that drew some uh, name out of the hat was Gorgeous George Jr., and he drew Bob Armstrong. Wow, that's a bad, bad, bad draw for Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, I felt a little sorry for him. Uh, Jack Briscoe drew out of the hat, and he drew Buzz Sawyer. And wow, those two guys are going to have a wow. Uh, I, I couldn't wait to see that match. And uh, and then I was I drew the last one. There was only one name left in the hat, and I got the Mongolian Stomper. So the Fans really got into it, man. Just as they done in Knoxville, they'd been cheering for the baby faces or the heels uh, during the time they were being introduced and when they uh, got the uh, pairings picked. Uh, so they were doing the same thing in the studio here. It was really a great segment, a great personality profile segment. And uh, so after he finished in the ring this time, Charlie had a little something that Les didn't have opportunity. Charlie uh, went back to the profile set and he played an interview from Bob Armstrong that Bob had cut in Knoxville when I was there before I left to come south. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob gave me the interview. I brought it. Uh, we played it on TV. So uh, uh, Charlie got to introduce Bob Armstrong and Bob made, uh, you know, some comments. Bob told the fans there basically, you know, uh, said how much he missed them and uh, and how uh, that, uh, you know, he had <laughs> – he had really, really uh, was happy to be able to come back and be to be in this huge tournament was an honor, and uh, to have a chance to wrestle Harley Race and, the, and getting um, maybe the world title is just uh, beyond his his biggest one of his biggest dreams. That sounds like another great profile stud, no doubt. So all you missed was Harley himself. Well, maybe not now, Dave. Uh, you, you didn't kind. Of, you didn't let me finish here, you know. So <laughs> after Bob's interview, Charlie introduced introduced Harley. We had an interview from Harley, and Harley's interview was extremely short. I watched it, man, uh, but it was not sweet. They say short and sweet. It was it was short, but it wasn't sweet. And uh, and he said he really didn't care how the NWA wrestling promoters went about picking his opponents. He said it was a waste of time anyway. He said because no one was going to beat him because he was the baddest man on God's green earth. <laughs> Pretty short, I'll tell you that. Yeah. But uh, Harley, Harley had a way of making his point. As I said earlier, Rod, you didn't miss a thing. So this profile might have been even better than Knoxville's. So, wow. All right, so what was next? Well, the Mongolian Stomper, uh, who was another wrestler in the upcoming tournament, uh, was making his last TV appearance in southeastern Gulf Coast until 1980. Now, we're in early 1979. They're not going to see the Stomper for a year. Uh, And uh, he was the first uh, southeastern Gulf Coast star, uh, other than my brother, to be headed to Memphis to work in that territory with Robert. Uh, to work full-time there for my father and uh, Jerry Jarrett uh, and Jerry Jarrett's in my father's territory. Uh, but, man, you know, knowing the stomper and how much he loved tearing that studio up there, he didn't miss his last opportunity to create pandemonium in the studio, man. As usual, 
He charged from the dressing room, man, and uh, he had those fans running in all directions. And and then uh, at the end of the match, he got his hand raised, uh, and there was only about half as many in the studio at the end of the match as there was before he got them running out of there. So uh, he really he really loved it. And uh, wow, that son of a gun was a monster as far as talent. Uh, last match and uh, on the TV. Uh, the entire segment, obviously, was all focused on the Tony Charles and the David Schultz feud, man, that had been going on for quite a while in the Southeastern at that point. Uh, and these matches over the Southeastern belt, uh, long matches, man, 45-minute hour matches. Uh, Tony was uh, at the set with Les, and uh, they watched uh, the last five minutes of one of those one-hour time limit draw matches. I'd had guys tell me how good those matches were. I was I was amazed, man. And uh, Schultz and Charles uh, uh, had been having some tremendous matches with each other. And uh, their next match on this big card that was upcoming was going to be obviously a no time limit match for the belt. And uh, David Schultz then was in the last match of the show. And it was watched and commentated uh, by Charlie. Cook and Tony Charles sitting at the desk with him watching the video. He sat there for the match. And I hadn't seen Schultz in a while. I'd been in Knoxville most of the time. And, boy, it didn't take me long to realize that Schultz had become much more brutal in his matches than he was a couple of months earlier. <laughs> uh, he, he was beginning to look like the Schultz that was going to slap John Stossel on national TV. Or that something. guy, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. You know, and, and that was an incident that became known as a slap heard around the world. Yeah. And uh, and in this match, the fact, uh, you know, that he left his TV opponent beaten almost unconscious was proof, man, that he was <laughs> headed for the big time. <laughs> he, was, he wasn't finished by a long shot where his, he was going. I think you, you might have said it earlier, but I, he was just as scary as the stomper to the fans. And at that time, your Southeastern companies we're putting out tremendous TV shows, no doubt about it. And he was a big part of that. Well, it, it truly had been a good TV, man. It really was. And uh, opening up, it, it opened with an all-wrestling match to start it, man. But between two of the best pure wrestlers on the planet, Jack Briscoe and Herb Calvert, and it ended with a violent encounter from a future Hall of Famer, David Schultz. All right, so you had such a diversity of tremendous talent from Knoxville in the north to the Gulf Coast in the south. There's no doubt about it. So there was more than one tournament that week in southeastern Gulf Coast. What, right, Stud? Yeah, yeah, it certainly was, man. Uh, two other southeastern Gulf Coast cities who were going to get world title matches on that same week as Mobile. Uh, Pensacola was not going to have a, 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 a tournament, but Montgomery was going to have a tournament just like they were having in Mobile. And on the, the Sunday night in Pensacola, February 11th, Tony Charles who was uh, going to wrestle, uh, was going to have an opportunity uh, to uh, wrestle Harley Race. Uh, he just, we gave him the shot at Harley Race that he was going to get uh, two weeks later. Uh, so I won the tournament in Montgomery and the right to meet uh, Harley. And uh Bob Armstrong won the tournament in Mobile, man. Going to have the right to meet him. And, uh, you know, it's a. So, you know, let's talk about that card for Mobile, man, on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1979. 
and Irv Calvert was in the first match. And uh, he went to the ring uh, to start the night out, uh, but he went by himself. And he took the announcer's microphone away from him, and he held up five $100 bills, and he challenged any man in the arena to come down and see if they could pin him. And if they did, he'd give them the $500. Uh, so, um, you know, I was waiting for this, man. Uh, you know, uh, with great anticipation, to be honest with you, these challenges had been going on since the night Calvert arrived in the territory, but it was the first night that somebody accepted it, right? So a guy came down out of the crowd. Uh, he had on short pants. He was he was somewhat ready, you know, to 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 see what he could do, and uh, and it was uh, my first opportunity, man, to see this type of shoot match in four years since Dale Lewis had done that same type of thing in Knoxville in 1975. So uh, Calvert, I watched it, and Calvert was very impressive, man. What a, uh, he he sh he did a couple of tremendous amateur moves just to show uh, how good a wrestler he was, and he pinned this guy in less than three minutes. Uh, much kind of much like the University of Oklahoma star Dale Lewis that done regularly in Knoxville for for almost a year, nineteen seventy five, and the most important part of these shoot events was the fact that the wrestler. Uh, had, he needed to stick with wrestling. He had to have, and he had to be a, a guy that had his uh, had his had his act together, man. Uh, he couldn't show a tendency to be nasty or violent with the spectator. You didn't want that type of guy. And uh, Herb Calvert was perfect. He was great. And uh, at the end of this match, he beat the guy in three minutes. He helped him up. He shook his hand, and he went over and opened up the ropes and helped him through the ropes to leave the ring. Yep. Finished with that. All right, so I'm sure you did feel better about these type of matches after seeing this one at least. So I know that the last one you had in the Knoxville territory kind of got out of hand and ended up costing you some money, right? <laughs> yeah, it certainly did. <laughs> it cost me some bread. And uh, But before that happened, that uh, Dale Lewis kind of, uh, because of uh, – <laughs> because of the world junior champion, uh, Danny Hodge forcing him to, uh, got violent with a guy and, uh, and he hurt somebody. So, uh, you know, but before he did that, Dave, Dale Lewis, man, convinced a lot of fans in that uh, Knoxville area that wrestling was real, man. And he brought true legitimacy to the Knoxville territory, uh, when I got there and, and it really desperately needed it, that territory. When I mm -hmm. got there, a lot of people weren't wrestling fans. They were just brawlers and blood fans. And, uh, wow. Uh, Dale Lewis did a lot to change their minds about wrestling. And I could see that Herb Calvert was uh, going to do the same thing for Southeastern Gulf coast. And after this win, uh, then, uh, Ricky, Fields came to the ring. He pinned Ricky, but it took him about 15 minutes to pin Ricky rather than the three minutes it did to pin the guy from the crowd. Uh, the NWA World Title Tournament began in the second match on that mobile card. Bob Armstrong beat Gorgeous George Jr. in the first round. Then they had the Texas Death Match. It was the third match of the night, and that was Jimmy Golden, Norvell Austin, uh, and they won the Southeastern Tag uh, over the Southeastern Tag Champions, Don Carson and the Assassin, managed by Billy Spears. They won that Texas death match. That earned them a title shot the next week on this big championship card for the next week. Uh, there were two and uh, two tournament matches later. Tony Charles 
lost the Southeastern Championship to David Schultz uh, in a, a match that went past uh, 45 minutes. Wow. And another great match. And that was the first time that David Schultz had ever been the Southeastern champion. Uh, last match of the night was Bob Armstrong against the Mongolian Stomper uh, for the shot at Harley. Uh, Stomper was going to be managed by Gorgeous George Jr. Went to the ring with uh, Stomper, which uh, I'm sure everybody would expect that that was what was going to happen. And, uh, and then, uh, like I said, Bob beat him. And uh, Bob was going to be uh, wrestling Harley Race for the World Championship the following week, not in Expo Hall where we are on this event, mm -hmm. but in the big arena, man, the 12,000-seater. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. So Bob wins the tournament and is ready to face the greatest of all time. All right, so that's really a great week for wrestling fans in the Gulf Coast. What about the attendances? for those three cities with the tournaments? Well, all three of the buildings were full, man. I can tell you that. Pensacola's Auditorium, for the first time, man, had uh, over 4,000 people in it, 4,100. Uh, Montgomery's beautiful Civic Center had about 4,500. And Mobile's Expo Hall had, had the sellout. It had the 53 and held about 53 to 5,500. And uh, so... That was 13,900 fans, man, in those three cities alone, almost 14,000 fans uh, down there in the southeastern Gulf Coast. All right, so it sounds like another great week in Harley Race. The world champion was coming to all three the next week. So I think you've got a shot at making it through all the things you said at the opening of this studcast, Ron. I think you're on a roll. Let's keep going. Okay. Okay. Uh, all we got left, I think, is a riding riding back north uh, toward Knoxville uh, to the opposite side of the state of Tennessee. We're going to be in the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis uh, for another night of drama, man. And uh, the last time we talked about what was going on there was uh, January 22nd, 1979, a card that was about two weeks before this one. And that was the last time that we had sent a lot of guys to that uh, to Memphis. And uh, so we'll talk about that uh, that card now. My brother, you know, was already the new booker there. Uh, the Mongolian Stomper and Gorgeous George Jr. had just started. They had left uh, the southeastern Gulf Coast. They had just gone into the Memphis Territory full time uh, on this same week that we're talking about here. And we'd been discussing uh, this uh, tag team tournament in Knoxville and the three world championship tournaments, uh, Southeastern and Gulf Coast. Uh, so there's a lot of things going on. My brother and uh, Stomper, Gorgeous George Jr., are now wrestling full-time in Memphis. So uh, Stomper's coming back for this week only, and then he won't be back until 1980. So uh, here are here's the card, man, in Memphis that night. Uh, we'll talk about the whole card for Memphis, uh, mm -hmm. which is a pretty decent card. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler was wrestling against Austin Idol in the first match on that card. Uh, Lawler obviously had worked several shows for Southeastern Knoxville over the years and uh, was definitely uh, one on the card that was, uh, he was one of the guys on the on this card that had also been a past Southeastern star as well. He'd been in Knoxville enough to be a pretty big star there. Uh, and they would not been uh, using the old old Southern heavyweight championship belt in that territory for a long while. 
and it was the same belt that I had held in 1975 for most of that year in Memphis. And uh, so they brought me in on a special card a couple of days before this match. And, uh, and they put that belt back on me. Okay. And, uh, so, and, and I had one, so then they booked me, uh, to defend the belt, the Southern heavyweight title on this uh, card, uh, against the legendary Tor Tanaka. And, uh, it was going to be Tanaka's first ever appearance in Memphis. So fans were going to get to see a great wrestler there too, that they had never seen before. And, uh, obviously me and both Tanaka were Southeastern stars. Uh, then there was a world brass knucks match with the champion Don Fargo against Robert Gibson. And both of those guys in night in much of 1978 had worked in the Gulf coast. And, uh, and so they were basically past Southeastern stars. Uh, next match was Dennis Condry and Don Carson against Les Thatcher and Rip Smith. And in this match, Thatcher and Smith were from Knoxville, obviously. Uh, plus, there was Conry that had spent most of 1978 as one of the Southeastern Tag Champions with Phil Hickerson and his partner, who was his partner in uh, Knoxville. So uh, you had Don Carson, who is a present Southeastern uh, Gulf Coast star. And uh, then you had uh, three, three other stars in that same match that came from Southeast. Uh, Jimmy Golden wrestled Chris Von Colt. Uh, Jimmy obviously is a present Southeastern star. And, uh, and uh, then the, they reunited the Gulf Coast Assassins uh, that night against Bill Dundee and Tommy Gilbert. And one of the Assassins was Randy Colley, who was the present partner with Don Carson down there on the Gulf Coast. He was obviously a present Southeastern star. The other Assassin was Roger Smith, who had been an Assassin in the Gulf Coast Territory for much of 1978. In the early part of 78, him and Collie were the assassins, and they were managed by Rip Tyler and later on by Billy Spears. So there you had more Southeastern stars. Hmm. Then the first match on that card was Buzz Sawyer making his first appearance ever in Memphis against a guy named Roger Howell. And uh, obviously Buzz was another Southeastern star. Wow, that is crazy, Ron. I counted... I think I counted 13 out of the 18 total wrestlers on that card, either past or present Southeastern stars. <laughs> That's, and I think you got it right, man. Uh, so at least two thirds of that entire card were either present or past Southeastern stars in the last year. Uh, so can you imagine the drama, man, that was going on in the, he in the heads of the five guys? There were five guys on that card that hadn't worked for me and hadn't never worked uh, for Southeastern. And uh, can you imagine uh, what they felt like, those five guys sitting there uh, and looking around at each other and seeing my <laughs> brother who was the new booker? And, uh, and they had to be wondering, well, how long am I going to be here before I get replaced? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. All right, listen, I never thought about it that way, Stud. But if I had been one of them, I can see where – Maybe they would have been, there would have been some real drama, no doubt. All right, sorry, Stubb, but we're not going to make it to the learning tree question we had been hoping for earlier in the show, but we can definitely make that up in the coming weeks. However, I am amazed just how much wrestling history you did get into this episode, no doubt. Hey, folks, on Facebook, go to Ron Fuller Welch, the Tennessee Stud, like and follow him there to become a friend with a legend. Same thing on Twitter. 
Find him on Twitter, Ron Fuller Welch. And if you've not already done so, follow him there too. His YouTube channel, Southeastern Rewind. His first YouTube only Ask the Stud question and answer show is there now. You can see it right now. Don't miss it or the next one. Saturday, February 18th, 2023. Look for his post on Facebook and Twitter to leave your question for the next one. Check out the new Short Rides with the Stud exclusively on YouTube. I saw one of those last night, a brand new one. New ones each week. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. That's where you find everything that is the Tennessee Stud. There are now 78 Southeastern, 23 Continental, 12 Gulf Coast TV shows available, all in the order which they were recorded. That's how it was meant to be. Hundreds more are coming. Over 50 stud stories are there. Six stars of the sport. Four superstars of the past. And documentaries on Wendell Cooley, the Mongolian Stomper, and the Dirty White Boy. All of this, only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year, plus the free one-week trial still available. It is the best deal in wrestling. I'll tell you what, these studcasts have become, become so good and so much fun, I can hardly wait each week until the next one. So, speaking of the next one, where are we going to ride next week, stud? Well, man, uh, we're racing, uh, pardon the pun, and do a four-night NWA World Championship defense from the champion. Uh, that, you know, he, that the guy that famously referred to himself as the baddest man on God's green earth, Harley <laughs> Race. So in four straight nights in February 1979, this next stud cast is going to describe him wrestling for the best wrestlers in the world. And one of which... Uh, would go on to become an NWA World Heavyweight Champion himself years later. Uh, Tony Charles, Ronnie Garvin, the legendary Bob Armstrong, and myself, uh, all those matches will be discussed in next week's uh, Studcast. And uh, Ronnie Garvin is that guy that went on to become World Champion himself. Wow. Uh, wow. And with all this going on, going on for me in 1979, uh, this next Studcast is uh, we'll describe the highlights of this horrible year for me. We'll we'll be doing more of that, and we'll do that in all of them because th- it is what was happening in all of them. And I enjoy. I gotta say this, man. On the end, Dave, on this one, I I enjoy every one of these studcasts, man. But but I have to be honest, man. I can hardly wait to sit down in front of this microphone uh, one week from today and tell the magnificent wrestling history from 44 years ago, man, when professional wrestling was the greatest sport on earth. Wow. Hey, before we close out today, Ron, I want to send an invitation to fans to join us for something very special in the next Studcast. Well, I want to thank everybody, man, for listening today, obviously. Uh, and please tell your friends about uh, about us and uh, what we do here and about the next one that we're going to be on, the next Studcast. Uh, take care of yourselves and others. And, uh, and, I, and I want to leave today by thanking the good Lord, man, for blessing me, man, with the experiences that I'm going to be able to talk about so proudly next week, man. Uh, I look forward to it. 
And we're certainly looking forward to it as well, Stud. For Ron Fuller and the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud, LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.